Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and Tom Hopkinson of The Sunday Mirror. A big week for Chelsea, a pivotal Champions League game on Wednesday when they'll be confronted by Atletico Madrid and the spirit of Diego Costa. Then there's a little matter of Manchester City at the bridge on Saturday. Season-defining, Dom? Well, I think we'll know a lot more about Chelsea's squad strength um, by the weekend and whether they've got the capabilities of competing on two fronts because I think that was always a concern with Conte even even towards the end of last season. He, he wondered whether they had the depth um, within that squad um, and I think that was obviously why he agitated so much over the summer in terms of the transfer policy. So this will be this will, this will show us basically it's a, it's a massive test in, in Spain. Um, regardless of the fact that Diego Costa will no doubt be in the crowd and will draw the, the camera's focus. Um, that is a proper test out on the pitch. And then to follow that up with you know, after an away game in Europe with the visit of Manchester City to the bridge, a City team who just can't stop scoring at the moment, properly daunting. But Conte will see it as a challenge that he, he probably feels that they can, they can address well. Let's look at Wednesday, first of all, Tom. Atletico Madrid have always been talked about as potential Champions League winners. Is this the season we see them maybe go to the ultimate step? Uh, the word maybe is, yeah. I mean, you know, there's every chance. They've got as good a chance as anyone of going uh, all the way in the Champions League, uh, second in, in La Liga at the moment behind Barcelona. And, uh, you know, what I love about Diego Simeone's teams is that they're, they're, they really do play in the, the spirit of the manager himself. You know, they've got that firebrand personality, but they're very, very talented footballers as well. Costa will be a perfect fit. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, he is, <laughs> is, is the prodigal son, isn't yeah, he, yeah. For, uh, for Simeone? But, you know, it was interesting listening to Thibaut Courtois' comments about him. You know, his array of sunshine in the, the dressing room was, I think, the, the phrase that he used with Costa. And, um, you know, I think it's the perfect fit for him. I don't think anyone should forget what he achieved when he was was uh, over here with with Chelsea you know helped them win two Premier League titles gave a lot and gave a lot of entertainment whether you loved or hated the way he played the game you know he was it was pure theatre for everyone um, and I think he will be a great fit for them so if they don't win it this season they'll go close if they 
go on next season with Costa fully in there. I mean, I know he'll get to play for the second half of this season, but you know, with him in their ranks fully and fully settled back into life in Madrid next season as well, I think, I think over, certainly over the next two or three seasons, we'll see them go all the way. Mm. How do you see Chelsea developing, Dom? You know, I saw them at Stoke on, on Saturday. Terrific going forward. Morata, you know, there were the shades occasionally of Van Nistelrooy in the way he played. Um, midfield, Kante never has a bad game. Bakayoko is huge. He, he's basically Yaya Toure before Yaya Toure had too much birthday cake, really. But that defence, that's the one area where they might be vulnerable? Well, possibly. Um, they have got the bodies there. They've got the quality there at the back. Um, and, and Conte has moulded them into a, a stingy defence you know, for periods last season. They, they didn't concede very many goals. Um, I think he got his... Uh, look, Stoke City was shorn of, of some Didn't have a significant defender. players. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so we shouldn't get too carried away with that performance. I think perhaps more revealing was the, the goalless draw with Arsenal the previous week um, when you actually looked at that and thought That's, that is an occasion when I actually missed Diego Costa. That's... That's when Morata was up against two, two defenders, three defenders, actually trying to impose themselves physically on him, and he didn't really have the same strength in that in that performance. I'm not. I, I think he will be a brilliant player for Chelsea, and I think they, over time, the team will adapt their play to suit him and to get the best out of him um, in the way that they they rely so heavily on Diego Costa. But I think that's a process. It's going to take a while to to adjust to that. Um, I, I, I like their first team. I think their first team is excellent. I think I think that their first team, if they could pick that throughout the entire Premier League season, I think they would, they would be pushing to retain their title. But the reality is that they've got so many games on the horizon. They're going to have to chop and change, and it's whether they cope with that disruption as well. Um, and, you know whether they've got the capabilities and the strength and depth. That that'll be the key. Mm. What do you think of Gary Cahill, Tom? Yeah. They look a bit lumpy when he's in the team, as far as I'm concerned. Does he merit his place or is he vulnerable? I think I think that's a bit harsh actually. I, I like Cahill as a player, I like him as a as a fella as well to deal with, you know. I mean he's he's excellent. He's very good as well. Um, yeah. He's excellent. And, and there was a game last season and, and it, I think it was just after David Luiz uh, came back to the side and, and Cahill was penalised. Um and, and he came out afterwards and he was absolutely furious and I love the intensity of that interview. I wished I wish players would come out and be a little bit more like that because it showed showed a side of Gary Cale that we don't always see that he has got that fire in his belly. And I, I think I think we sometimes, you know, we, we when you're watching him for Chelsea, I think he's quite often he's a bit more understated than John Terry ever was. Mm. And so I think perhaps we don't I'm not saying he's as good a footballer as, as John Terry because I think John was arguably the best central defender in the country for, for many a year. But I think because he's so understated, we perhaps don't give him Gary Cale as much credit as he deserves. I mean, he's won the lot, hasn't he, with mm. with Chelsea? And uh, I remember watching him at at Bolton, thinking um, when he first went there from Aston Villa, thinking, why on earth have they let this <laughs> this lad go? He's superb on his on his debut for Bolton. So I, I think they're still, as Dom says, they, they've really got the bodies, Chelsea, at the heart of of their defence. You know, with Christensen coming through, who looks like he'll be an incredible prospect over the years, and um, with Louise since he's come back, has looked great. Mm. Rudiger as well looks like it. You know, Conte's got this lovely situation where he can put a player in and bring him out, put him back in and, you know, really ease them into the side in defence. Whereas with Morata, he's having to throw him straight in. To be fair, Morata's responding perfectly, but mm. in defence, he can pick and choose his games a little bit better. So, um, yeah, I think I think we'd be ruling Kale out too soon and I think calling him lumpy would, would mm. you know, it's perhaps a little unfair on him. But um, certainly, will he play as many games as he has done 
in recent seasons, probably not, but that's mm. because um, An Antonio Conte can afford to, to rest him and, and choose different options for different games. What struck me about Saturday was, well, one, the way that Chelsea make the system work in their favour. Stoke couldn't pay, play Zuma because of the, the loan rule, mm. which I think, I don't know what you guys think, but I think that should be scrapped. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Uh, secondly, with Christensen playing, I thought it was very marked how Azpilicueta almost talked him through the game. And that, to me, is you know, another sign of leadership. And the, also, with you look at Aspilicueta and the relationship that he's get, getting with Maratta, set up four out of his six goals, he's going to be an absolute key to their season, isn't he? Well, he, he, he's done that before with Christensen. He did it at the game at Wembley against Tottenham. Uh, when, when Chelsea were a club apparently traumatised by that opening day defeat to Burnley, and they were there for the taking, allegedly. Um, and yet... Christensen came in and was asked to play in the, in the middle of the back three. David Luiz moved into midfield. And both Luiz and Azpilicueta guided Christensen through that, that contest. It, initially, he was quite shaky. Um, and you could tell that the nerves were gripping. But by the end of it, he was playing with the authority of somebody who'd been in the Chelsea first team for five, six years. Um, we, we, we shouldn't forget that with Christensen, he has played Champions League football against you know Man City, Barcelona, Bayern Munich mm -hmm. in the last few years for... So he's got a bit of experience there. Um, he won't take a lot of coaxing from people like Azpilicueta. It's, 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 it's more about adjusting to the Premier League. But when you've got a player like Azpilicueta who is so consistent, who never puts a foot wrong... Didn't miss a minute, did he, last oh, season? No. In, uh, in fact, when he got taken off tight. against Carabag, it was almost outcry in the press box. Like, <laughs> he's actually being brought off the pitch. I mean, how are they going to cope without him? He's, he's, he's someone that they completely take for granted because he is so consistently excellent. Um, and, and the delivery, the, that diagonal ball, we saw it last year when Chelsea were up against it a bit at, at Palace and he put a, a ball across for Diego Costa to have the only goal of the game. He's got that in his locker and he's, he's now using it with Morata. There is an understanding there already, which is... He, did, clearly, he did it against Leicester and, at, and against Stoke. They're, they're clearly very close friends off the pitch, yeah. though, as well. You can see by the way they... I mean, even the way they look at each other, they almost go a bit starry-eyed when they look at each other. to <laughs> Yeah, room boys. Goal. Yeah, well, it is, it is almost like <laughs> that. But, but yeah, yeah. But I think, I think you know, when that, that's good recruitment. I know Antonio Conte knew, uh, knew all about Morata when he signed him, but he was, managers also look at how a player is going to fit into the team, into the... Into the squad, and he, you know, it, it, again with Costa, he obviously did fit into the squad very well. But you're never going to have any worries about integrating someone like Morata into your team, and uh, it's it's paying dividends for them already because I think he scored just about every type of goal there is now, isn't there? It's <laughs> good to see him scoring with his feet finally, yeah, but yeah. but he's showing, you know, he's showing that he can score with his head. He can score the left foot, the right foot, close range, a little bit further out. And, yeah, I, I think that balance, as, as Dom says, the balance that that Chelsea have got at the back from Azpilicueta, who almost gives Chelsea the same sort of balance that company gives Manchester City when, when he plays. You know, it's almost like everyone else knows where their positions on the field need to be because he that has put himself in there. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and I think Chelsea have now got that all the way through to Morata at top, which is why, you know, Saturday's game against Manchester City, it will be a, a, a big telling point of where Chelsea are, but it will be a very big telling point of where Manchester City are as well. Mm. With Morata, you know, I think one of the, you know, the emerging narratives, horrible word, but you know, of the season is this race for the golden boot. We've got four strikers now who are scoring prolifically. Morata, Lukaku, 
and uh, two others, Aguero. Aguero. And yeah. Kane. Not even got to Jesus there as well. No. What Benteke we running? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He's, he's out of the game for eight weeks. Uh, by which time, Crystal Palace will be relegated. Stop it, won't yeah. <laughs> so what about that, that whole Golden Boot um, race? Well, it's a nice... It's a nice side issue. I mean, I, I've never really prioritised it myself, but I've never been, never had a right foot. <laughs> but the, um, it's, it's amazing that the Premier League has got four players of that calibre um, who are capable, or each of them is probably capable of getting 25 to 30 goals very easily if they stay fit over the, over the season. It may well be that, that it's you know, at a club like Manchester City, maybe Sergio Aguero won't play as many games mm. as a Harry Kane does at, at, at Spurs or... Um, you know Romelu Lukaku. I saw him Saturday. He's he his his game has actually visibly improved already um, at United to to when he was at Everton. Um, he he was I mean he's always been this beast of a player's strength there, but he's got his hold up players and his awareness is suddenly seems to be far more. That's that's what they say about when you're in a team. You know, all yeah. the players lift you, don't you? When yeah. when you're I playing guess with the better players, of the, of the yeah, movement etc. Works for you. The best. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, he could he could go on and score thirty quite easily. I mean, he's, uh, they've all been phenomenal. But I guess yeah, the golden boot it'll probably come down to who plays most in the end. And if you were forced to put your mortgage on any of them, I, I still think you probably wouldn't look further than Harry Kane because I, I just think you know he's already we, we can forget August now. You know that's out of the way and he's on the, one of those streaks again. Well, he, he is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the beauty of him is though is that he he peaks at right at the end of the season as well. So if he starts getting goals. Early, which you know he's he's getting them now. Then there's no no telling how many he can go on to get by the end of the season. But I think again with Harry Kane, it will come back to we really want to see him now do it on the European stage as well. So that going into the World Cup at the end of the season, we know that when he's in a big game against a Germany, a Spain, or an Italy, mm -hmm. we're confident that he can do it on that level as well. Because there's absolutely no doubt that he, he is an absolute star in the Premier League. With City, are we seeing? Pep's philosophy now really taking shape, the vision becoming clearer. Yeah, yeah, you'd imagine so, and, and, and we should be after 14 months in the job, really. Um, I thought you were going to say after all the millions he spent as and, well. And, and, the, and the hundreds of millions he spent, yeah. Um, yeah, they are playing. Well, I, I'm sort of I'm wary of, of praising them to the hill. I mean, they have been wonderful to watch so far, but. This time last year, we were doing exactly the same thing. We got hoodwinked into thinking that they were going to wipe the floor with everybody, and they didn't. They hit a wall, and and it's really, I think that they're, they're obviously a better, more rounded squad now. They've got more options. They've got better options at the back. Um, they've got this unbelievable front six, seven, eight, who can do whatever they want if they if they you know the rhythms up on the game. Um, but let's see how they do after they've confronted a Chelsea at Stamford Bridge after they've played a. A Mourinho, a very much a Mourinho star, Manchester United, um, at Old Trafford, or, or even at the Etihad. On the back of Champions League games. On as the well, back of the, the absolutely, absolutely, and, and I suppose, I mean, I guess the, their Champions League group isn't the most daunting, really. Um, there'll be a trip to Donetsk, I think they're in that group, aren't they? So, yeah. But other than that, uh, and United isn't actually daunting at all. It's Chelsea that've got the, mm. the, the tricky ones, and and Spurs, and and and, and Liverpool. So. Even then, I just I just want to see them go head to head with one of the elite teams, and then we'll judge how how good they are. I think I think that you, you touched on it though, Dom. I mean, the, the 
two uh, fullbacks that they've got now in, in Walker and Mendy. I mean, they just are, are, they're an upgrade. There's no other way to look at it on players who were very good, but were past their mm. sell-by date. And so that, Having those two either side of you, and, and Danilo looks very good as a you know as a replacement yeah. as well. Well, it was interesting on Saturday against Palace, that, but, but it seemed that Pitt was just doing a little bit of experimentation. The last twenty minutes, games one, moves Walker into the centre of the defence just mm. to see how it went. Yeah, and, and why not when you know when when you so so clearly have the game wrapped up? But I think. What I was going to say that you know when you've got the fullbacks like that, you, you, it's going to breed confidence into the likes of John Stones and, yeah. and even Otamendi this season. You know, a player who we know has got a rick in him or, or two ricks in him every game, looks far more comfortable on the ball now than, than he ever has done. And I, I think that is that's breathing itself the way through the team, and it, it can only be a positive for Manchester City fans to to see that happening. That, that said, for 44 minutes on Saturday against the worst team in the league at the moment, they. They, they couldn't find a way through. And, OK, Palace fell to pieces afterwards when they were presumably exhausted, having been given the runaround for most of that first But that's, isn't that, isn't but that, that perfect well, football? But let's, like see, that. let's see what happens when a Mourinho team goes... Or a Conte team. Conte's teams won't fall away like Palace did. Mm. They, won't, they won't, you know, be more open in the 75th minute if it's still nil-nil than, than, mm. than Palace were. They won't, they won't fall into the traps of chasing mm. a game. So will that front six be able to you know, revel in the way that they've been able to... But the game might be a little bit more... Not necessarily against Manchester United, but against Chelsea, the game might be a little bit more open for, uh, for City to find spaces to exploit as, as Chelsea Possibly. come on to them. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're absolutely, Chelsea went to, you're absolutely Chelsea right. Chelsea went to Spurs and, and closed them down. That was how they won that game. They played yeah. on the counter-attack. Mm. Chelsea could do that against City... Um, at Stamford Bridge, even. Well, that's where the pace of of a Hazard will come in handy. Mm. He's, you'd get the sense that he's just going up through the gears as the season progresses. Yeah, I, I mean, wonderful player. But who would you rather have in your side at the moment, Eden Hazard or Leroy Sonny? Uh, I mean, you know, this is this is how good both sides are. They've got. You'd really struggle, wouldn't you, to pick an eleven out of the two sides together? And and yes, Hazard's coming back. He's had a bit of a break, and he's, he's he, as you say, he's working his way back up through the gears. But yeah, I just I just wonder whether whether Chelsea whether there is a bit of a baton going to be passed over in the next couple of weeks was, was, as we see City move away and, and Chelsea perhaps stumble a little bit because I mean it, look it, when when you look at the uh, either side's front sort of four and five players there's there's a fag paper between the two of them isn't there <laughs> in terms of talent and and terms of speed as well so it, it's it's going to be a frightening prospect to watch them them both progress and, and as you say move through the gears through the course of the season. Where, where do you think Raheem Sterling fits into all this, if at all? You know, there's still this, all this talk about going to Arsenal and another. You know, on the other side, they're saying he's going to sign a new contract at City. It does seem difficult for him to get a place there. But then Raheem Sterling is the, the guy who came up with a late equaliser against Everton at the Etihad, who came up with a late winner at Bournemouth, scored twice on Saturday. At the moment, he's, he's, he's pretty much proving key. Um, he's he's getting them out of, of tricky situations in a you know a team that, that have otherwise been wiping the floor with everybody. That he, he was the one that saved them in those two those two early occasions. I, I, he's I think he's learning. I think he's 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 getting better. He he may not. We maybe we maybe it's a because he's an England player. Maybe we look at it and think, oh, maybe he's not progressing as much as as a Leroy Sane or a, mm. or a, a, a Jesus. But actually, I think his contribution is is there. It's 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 very obvious. I think Pep. Guardiola, when he's spoken about him, particularly in the wake of the, the whole Arsenal swap deal suggestions, um, you know, said that this is a player with a future at my club and I want him here. Um, 
It depends what he wants, though, doesn't it? Because you know, I, I don't see that future at Manchester City as being a regular starter. I mean, if you've got, mm. you know, your Sane's, your David Silva, your Bernardo Sane's Silva... Sane's not a regular starter. No, I know, absolutely. But but if you've got all of, you know, those players, I, I think they're all... I think we'd all probably agree that they're ahead of Raheem Sterling in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, does he does he think that by joining an Arsenal, for example, and, and maybe playing in that 10 role, which he has looked, he has looked quite well suited to the 10 when he's played there for City this season might just give him more of an opportunity to progress and he, look, he needs to keep playing at this stage of his career. Mm. Does Dom have a point when he talks about the England factor? And I'm thinking now of, of Stones, where he's gone through that beam, boom and bust cycle very, yeah. very quickly, hasn't he? Yeah. He's coming back now, was it four games on the trot now? What do you think of that? Do we actually, are we too harsh in dealing with young English players? Uh, in English players, not necessarily. I think you know. I think we have with Harry Kane. You know, he's always had great credit when when since he's been playing first team football for Tottenham. Um, I think maybe we are with England players a little bit in terms of. I mean, we we've watched Raheem Sterling play uh, against uh, Slova uh, sorry Malta and then Slovakia in recent weeks, and, mm -hmm. and did, he wasn't good. You know, didn't didn't play well and and so you know you can only judge play I mean these and these aren't teams that Raheem Sterling should be having bad games against you know he, he should be taking teams like that apart um I suppose people will say you know Manchester City fans listening will say well none of the rest of the team had particularly good games in either that as well so there probably is an England factor in it but I don't think it's one that we should get carried away with because I, I, I just think I, I just think you can look at Raheem Sterling's career and say he hasn't yet lived up to the potential you know, it's not, we're not just judging him on that purely because he's English. Mm. One person who will probably not be playing for England in the next couple of weeks is Deli Alley, simply because of the uh, finger gate. <laughs> um, what about the way that he is developing at Tottenham? You know, the relationship between him and Kane is fantastic, isn't it? You saw that again at West Ham. Yeah. Well, again, there's been criticism on the back of that 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 performance, a winning performance, and a game where he set up the the first goal in particular, but the. <laughs> Sometimes the play breaks down with him. The attacking play, there's an opportunity there, and he's 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 not dawdling on it, but he's he's not quite on the same wavelength as some of those around him. And and you know you're sensing now a little bit of a, oh, is he is he actually progressing as much as as we want him to? Where is his best position? Is he, a, you know, should should he be sitting deeper with Spurs and bombing forward from deep and in a sort of Frank Lampard-esque way, or or playing as a as a ten or even out wide? I, th I think that we're in danger with Deli Ali of, of of expecting him to um, to be a world beater already, and he's 21. 21, yeah. Mm. I, he's he, what he's done so far at Spurs is is fantastic, um, and in fact, I don't think he, he's not making it easy for us um, to not think like that because with all the stuff about his agent changing and and the sort of implications of that you know is this a, is this a move to facilitate a move to a, an elite club another elite club around madrid and manchester united something like that while that is is sort of floating around the ether um you know people will expect him to perform like a player who should be playing at real madrid or at manchester but isn't that the essence of being a successful modern sportsman that you have to put all those pressures, all those expectations into a little box and forget them and get out there and yeah. do what you should, do, of, should be doing. Of course, but we're, we're judging him, you know, let, let's look at Dele Alli's Premier League career as a whole and say he is well ahead of where you would expect 
and uh, your average 21-year-old oh, yeah. footballer to be. Even your average 21-year-old Premier League footballer is ahead of them. But we're looking at six or seven games in isolation at the start of this season when he, he hasn't necessarily been uh, at the top levels of his game. And you do wonder whether there is, you know, whether there are things going on off the field with, with the whole uh, change of representation that maybe is clouding his head a little bit but I, I think look I, I think if we get to Christmas and, and Deli Ali still isn't performing to the levels that we saw from him last season then we can start to question him but I, I just think it's very normal uh, for, yeah. for a player of his age to maybe take two or three steps forward and take one back and then go again mm. uh, and I think we should be quick not to expect too much from him. Mm, you've got Tottenham have got a pretty gentle week they're in Cyprus for the Champions League then they're at Huddersfield um, how much should they be worried about the fact that Moussa Dembele seems to be struggling with that foot injury? Well, if he'd gone back a week, it would have looked like a, a proper problem because he, he, is, he does seem so key to them and he sort of the dynamism and that, that Spurs, when the Spurs are at their best, he sort of personifies that strength and, and movement. Um, but actually, on the back of... I never thought I'd say this. But You're really building up to this as well, aren't you? I know where you're going. Sissoko was a revelation at West Ham. Sissoko, yeah. you know, a player that we'd all written off and with good reason. And, you know, Newcastle fans thought they, they could not believe the fee they generated when they sold him to, to Spurs. And, and, and finally... We're seeing the player that, that illuminated the, the finals of the European Championship. I'm, I'm not having that. I, the, the thing for me is, I, well, I, I can't say what I've just said about Deli Ali that we shouldn't judge Ooh. him on six games and we should be saying that <laughs> Sissoko, after one good game, finally one good game in a Tottenham shirt, is, is, is a world-class footballer. He's not going to get football. tested against Apoel in, in midweek. No. And, and Huddersfield, OK, Huddersfield have been done really well. But, yeah, but there will be stronger challenges yeah, for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah agree. But, but Dembele is going to be absolutely right. He's going to be a major loss to any side. You know, if, you've not, if, you're, if you have Dembele and Wanyama in your ranks and they're not available to you, then you're going to be pained by that. Mm. You saw Liverpool, didn't you, at, at Leicester on Saturday. Uh, how's the Coutinho rehabilitation? So then? I saw what I like to call Liverpools because they are two sides. They're a, a side <laughs> who is just unbelievable going forward and as we all know, a, a side who uh, are shaky at the back and we saw that again at the weekend. And I have to say, I, I, I sat here over the summer and, and said, just sell Coutinho, take the money, £136 million. And I still I still think it was a very good offer, that, from, from Barcelona. Mm. I still think if I'd have been in charge and I'd got a player saying Especially to me, as I'm told that Barcelona were actually more interested in Christian Eriksen. Well, yeah, there you go. So if, if, if the, the opportunity to bank 130, 140 million isn't going to come around again in either January or next summer, more likely, um, then perhaps they've missed out. But I have to say, he was superb on, on uh, Saturday against Leicester. He was... It was it was just it was almost like he was just playing a different game to to everybody else on the field around him, particularly in the first half. But there were times as well in the second half. You know, we saw. I mean, the cross for Mo Salah's goal was just superb. You know, I, I think I watched two or three replays of it and wondered if Casper Schmeichel was badly positioned for it. But I just think the pace yeah. that Coutinho put on the cross had, had just caught him out, and was you know you just have to sometimes rather than being critical, you just have to say someone's done very very well. I mean mm. the free kick as well that he scored, and it was a, looked like there was a slight deflection off Harry Maguire's head, but again 
brilliant. But there were a couple of times as well where he was he was just dancing his way through three or four Leicester players, and you know it was almost that. Where you, I know, on, particularly on the late games, on a on, on a, any evening, we you can sometimes you know you watch a bit of the game and then you get down to writing, then you watch mm. a bit more. But you're almost like you know I'm just going to close my laptop for a few minutes and watch Coutinho here because he was that good. Mm. What about the defence? What defence? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jurgen Klopp says he could write a book about defending in two hours. Wouldn't mind that type of talent, I have to say. <laughs> What's he need to do there? I, I, th I think, on the basis that, on the basis that, Sacco has left, and he was actually probably the best natural defender, um, and he left for his own reasons, whatever. Uh, it has to be down. It has to be work. It has to just be constant drilling. He should be. I think he he could probably take it for granted that that front six are going to run right, whatever he does. So in other words, playing playing the opponent's just, half. Well, well, yeah, yeah, you could, yeah. But I I would literally just have, I would just work the defenders all week. That's literally just me getting, just dictate what's what they're doing. And, and if he if he genuinely thinks that he he knows the answers on how to make them stronger, then just do it. Let, let one of your other coaches go off and deal with the front six. Or, or I can only, I can, well, I can, you can only assume in when they create the match situations that that Coutinho, Salah, Firmino, and Co are just running Lovren and <laughs> Matip ragged, and they're just destroyed of confidence when they get because all, all the alternatives they just don't bother. Just, and yeah, they, yeah. Oh, actually, I mean it's it's, yeah. it's it's such a strange, such a strange, a strange situation to see from them. Are they missing Nathaniel Klein, who's been injured, and you know I think he, his consistency is is overlooked. Yeah, and James Milner. It basically doesn't want to play at left back anymore. Are they missing those two as well? Uh, yeah, I mean to a degree, but, but even when they were in the sides, you know, they still had these in the side. They still had these problems over the last few years. It, it's it's just a perennial problem for Liverpool that they they can't seem to to get right. I mean, Alexander Arnold has looked good when he's coming. Gomez has, has looked good when he's come in, but it's just it, it's just the mistakes that that seem to be happening far too often and, and I, 11 what, goals in six matches yeah I mean what, and what, what strikes me as being very strange about it was that you know look the, the Van Dijk situation it's not like they didn't have plenty of time after that had all blown up to go out and identify another defender and Klopp must have had three or four players as, as we all know you know the managers have the list don't they must have had three or four defenders on a list mm. to try and sign in the summer now when Van Dijk fell through why didn't he go and, and buy... There must be someone out there who's an upgrade on Dan Lovren and Joel Matip. Well, do, must you think, do you think these guys are bad players? I, I look at... If you took Matip in isolation... But it almost doesn't matter whether they're well, that, good players or bad players because the they're not, they didn't do it last but year. But they're, they're being punished, it seems to me, from individual error under pressure. Just individual error. Now, you can work them all week. You know, that's what mm. you know, Italian coaches do all the time, don't they? It's just repetition, repetition, repetition. And not legislate but for that, yeah. If they if it's if they're not switched on there, you've got a problem. But don't you do I mean we David Luiz came back to Chelsea as a laughing stock and Antonio Conte got him under his wing and made him into the defender he is today. He and a proper defender. If if you if you've got that ability as a coach to instill discipline, you should be able to you should be able to do that. I I don't think Matt's a bad player individually. I don't think Lovren's a bad player no, individually. No, but I'd, I'd question whether Van Dyke, if they spent sixty odd million pounds on him, got him, put him in that Liverpool defence, whether we'd be sitting here thinking, oh, they've they've spent a lot of money on a player that's not very good, because I I imagine the same problems would grip him because I think it's an issue with the collective. Mm. It's how he's how he's coaching the lot of them. No, I'm not certain about that. I mean, I and I would say about Louise, I think. 
I, don't, I think he left. He probably left Chelsea a bit of a laughing. He was stock. a laughing stock. But at when PSG. he when, was he? I mean, the, I, last, I, the last season at PSG, when when they sold him to Chelsea, journalists from the Parisienne and L'Equipe were saying. Phew, what have Chelsea done here? Because he's not the player he was. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, when I when I saw him, I mean, he admitted playing against Chelsea, against Chelsea so he probably yeah, raised he his, well, he probably yeah. raised his mm. game. He, he looked he looked superb again. But yeah, I, I just with Van Dijk, I, I like I, I love him. When we saw him at Southampton, did look a very very good defender, very strong, very solid, and it has gone downhill for him at Liverpool. But I still think Van Dijk would be an upgrade on him. You saw Klopp afterwards. What was his mood like? Is this getting to him a bit? Um, yeah, it was interesting. I wasn't actually in the the press conference um, directly afterwards, so I only saw the TV uh, the TV interview with him. Um, but I did see him when he came out and he, uh, of the main press briefing, and he was um, going to do a briefing with the daily papers for the follow up for for Monday's newspapers, and he he didn't want to do it. He, he he didn't want to be answering those questions. He did do it. He stopped and he he spoke to them, but he he clearly wanted to be away and wanted presumably wanted to be working on how on earth, how on earth, how on earth he can. Uh, get, I mean, look, he, yeah, he, he's not going to. I mean, he was in that that the, the briefing with the Daily Papers actually that he talked more about the the defensive side of things and about writing, you know, that he could write the book and that I'm I'm telling them. And I mean, he must be, as you say, headbutting brick walls because, it, you know, we saw at Dortmund he he could do the def the defensive side of the coaching. So whatever it is, whatever it's not sticking at Liverpool, I, I just don't know. Is that a, a contrast to Jose Mourinho's current mood? I. That that performance on Saturday, I was lucky enough to be at Southampton, and and that was a Mourinho team lifted out of the mid noughties You go back thirteen years to to Chelsea. It was the strength and power that he's got up and down that spine is is frightening, and it's he's always he's almost achieved it overnight. And that's a team without Pogba as well. Um, he's he's got Phil Jones playing out of his skin. Uh, Eric Bailly looks a fantastic centre half again. Um, the, the midfield, even Fellaini's transformed. Matic, Matic. Um, I know people made a big thing about, about about Matic leaving Chelsea, and I do think Chelsea will regret that. But not 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 that they lost him, because I think Bakayoko, as you said earlier, is a fantastic player and will fill that void. But to give him to a, to United and allow them to benefit from what he can bring into a team, something else. Lukaku, strong. Even Mkhitaryan looks a different player. He's got Rashford tackling back. First half of that game Saturday, they. They looked as if they were going to win 4-0. They were wiping the floor with Southampton. Every time they went forward, they looked as if they were scoring. Second half, Southampton were fantastic, and they battered United, and there was no way through. And that, to me, is a, a Mourinho team that is all the old ingredients. Everything we saw at Chelsea, mm. first time round, even a bit second time round. He had played five at the back for the last 20 minutes, and he just said, try and get through this, and they couldn't. He's a master at winning ugly, isn't he? He is, yeah. I mean, not just in the Premier League, he'll do it in Europe as well. He, he's, he's, uh, he's just a pragmatist, isn't he? You know, um, and, and I don't say that with any, you know, in any detrimental way towards him because you, you only have to look at everything he's achieved in the game, all the trophies he's won, the honours he's won. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to win ugly, don't you? You know, you can. It's great to watch. But those, those were the games that they were drawing last year, weren't they? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, and, and and yeah. As, as Dom says, it's you know, I mean, it is. It's certainly over the summer, just by by the the signings that he made, and and that that's again, you know, if you remember when he brought uh, Costa in, they knew that deal was happening, sort of January February time, yeah. didn't they? It was a long run up to Costa coming in over the summer, and that's what Mourinho did well last year. He, he even though even you know the white hot heat of the Premier League, he identified very quickly the four players and the four positions that he needed to strengthen in the summer and went out and did it. Do you think they'll strengthen again in January? Let's talk about Fabinho. 
I think Mesut Ozil's put his hand up. Please, sir, can I come and join yeah, you? He seems to be doing that a lot uh, at the moment, doesn't he? You know, Paolo Dybala. As well, yeah. Any, any uh, relevance in those rumours? Yeah, I mean, I, I, Dybala, I think he's one for next summer, isn't he? Um, and if you've got Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back, I, I don't see why they would need, uh, you know, particularly given the Started way... Started fantastic, was it 10 well, in 6 Serie A games? Yeah, yeah, I mean, clearly clearly an absolute goal machine as well. But but why, you know, given the way that uh, not just Lukaku started, but Martial, uh, Rashford uh, as well, and then with uh, Ibrahimovic coming back into that side, I don't think Manchester United... I don't think there's any need, really, to... To, to mix the squad up at all this this January, I don't I don't think that any new bodies coming in just to sort of you know unbalance things at all are needed. But I certainly think next next summer, I mean, Mourinho he does it wherever he goes, doesn't he? You know, he'll want at least two new players in just to just to freshen things up and and hopefully take them to the next level again. Mm. Arsenal, Arsene Wenger is in I didn't fancy him much anyway mode. Yeah. Champions League not interesting <laughs> anymore. By the way, you're not in it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is missing it, isn't he? He's clearly missing it quite a lot. Um, yeah, it's, look, it's again, it's difficult to judge Arsenal because I, mean, I thought they were very impressive at at Chelsea. I thought they they showed a new side to their game, almost um, a bit of steel. Um, I mean, Mustafi wouldn't have been able to do what he did that afternoon if Costa had been playing against him, admittedly, but. But I thought that the, the, the back three actually worked that day. It, um, it didn't have enough to, to win it, but it was a, a buoyant, a good performance and a good point. But then you want to judge them how they follow that up. Do they, do they, you know, beat West Bromwich Albion in a swashbuckling way on, on the Monday night subsequently? Because that's a, a very different kind of test um, to going to Stamford Bridge, um, and it's not always the type of game that brings the best out of Arsenal. Uh, I, I just think Arsenal are where they are. They are. I think they'll be, they'll challenge for a while to to get into the top four. But I'd be surprised if come the end of the season they're in it. And it is a reality check. Bate Borisov away from home on a Thursday night. Yeah. Do you think he'll um, change the team? Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 perfect for the youngsters uh, that that Arsene Wenger has got at his availability. Um, and I, and I think rightly so. I mean, you know, look, it's it's not going to make a difference. I, they might do what Manchester United did last season and, and not take it seriously until after Christmas. And then if things aren't looking good in the Premier League uh, in terms of reaching the top four spots they, and they're still in the Europa League yeah. and they get a favourable draw, they may just say, do you know what, let's take a run at this and, and we can we can win it. And it, and it but again... The FA Cup. What always made me laugh with the Arsenal fans was that they they demanded silverware, and then when he won the FA Cup a couple of years, they said, "Well, actually, no, we meant the Premier League." And <laughs> I, I think the Europa League will be the same for them. I, I think it would, you know, be a good couple of days away to paper over a few cracks for a few weeks until the next league game comes round at the start of next season, and we're back to square one, which is Arsenal fans just not having Wenger anymore. Ties in quite nicely with one of the. Uh, questions we're getting in from the listeners and the viewers. Uh, Gordon Maxwell asked, was Wenger right that something will happen in the next 12 months to control transfer fees? Well, UEFA have sort of tried that with financial fair play, really, and it's that's just fallen by the wayside. I, I, I'm actually inclined to think that it will go the other way and that the the big clubs who, who can go out there and spend £150 million pounds on a player um, will spend even more. And 
you know, the clubs that will actually suffer will be those in the middle, really. Mm. He just can't, can't afford that and can't compete. I can't see any control. I don't see who would, who would impose a control. I, well, I think Wenger's he's very good, actually. And particularly nowadays, I don't know what you, how you find him, Don, but particularly nowadays, he's almost better talking about uh, situations and topics like this rather than actually talking about what goes on in the football field because mm. he, he almost doesn't want to get involved yeah. with that. But what, I think what he said... I had about 20 minutes with him last, last week. And he was fascinating on youth development. He's, he's, he's an incredible, uh, incredible person to talk to about about the bigger picture of. I mean, even about football as well. I think, but the bigger picture of football, I find him really interesting. But I think what he said uh, about the whole transfer situation is that look, we're in this sort of weird middle ground at the moment, and they need to go one way or another. They either need to implement financial fair play rules that completely rule out these ludicrous, which let's face it, they are crazy astronomical figures or we just need to forget about it altogether and and say look you're just free to spend whatever you want and we're going to have to deal with the consequences mm. uh, Laurie McGinley's been on after watching Manchester City he said they were excellent at the weekend but Pep says he wanted more out of them is he just looking for perfection isn't that what every manager's looking for really most of them don't talk to the, the ball boys about it do they <laughs> No, nice to have known exactly what he was saying. I, I imagined it was to try and get the ball back in play because at that point Palace were wheezing and didn't know what was going on. <laughs> um, is he after perfection? Well, yeah, of course he is, yeah. Um, he's, he, he came with a massive reputation last season. I, I imagine it stung him as, as it disappointed every Manchester City fan out there. It, was, it, it wasn't what it had been billed. So, uh, so far... So good this season. He's, he's, he looks as if he's taking it to another level. But let's see where we are in April. I think what's interesting with Guardiola when you talk about the perfection. If you'd said that to me a year ago, I'd have thought, well, you know, that's just ridiculous. You know, you're never ever going to get it. You might get it for in patches, but you're never going to get yeah. it across the course of a season. But then I look what he's done with Sergio Aguero, who I thought was perfection as a striker a year ago, but he actually almost seems to have improved his game. He's, he's more rounded now, I think, and still scoring the goals as well. So, um, yeah, perhaps perhaps he's right to be in search of it. But what is perfection? Is it, is it every chance he creates, you score? Yes. Well, good luck with good that. Good luck with <laughs> that. <laughs> and it's a funny, a funny old game management. Actually, we've got Phil Brackenridge is asking, will Eddie Howe be given time at Bournemouth. Yes. Does yes, he, he deserve time at yeah, Bournemouth? Yeah, absolutely. Of course he does. Of course he does. He absolutely does. And um, and and he'll get. It. I I don't get any sense that there's agitation there. That they've had a bad start, but they're a point of safety. It's it's mid-season. What about in March if if they're still? I mean, I agree. I, I think Bournemouth he's, go down. Every, it's always too late every, in March. Every, well, well, all right, yeah, but I, mean, I just mean what about January, February time? Then, whenever is is the time to get the bounce by bringing in a new man? I mean, I completely agree with Dom. He has everything he's done for that club, and let's not let's not pretend that they're little Bournemouth without well, a penny. You know, they are very wealthy club and very well backed. So. But that's not to take away from the job that Eddie Howe has done with them and this sort of identity that is created down there and the way he gets them to play football. But I just wonder if, come January, February, March, if they're still in the mire, it's very interesting then to see what very rich, very powerful people do and how they behave and how they react when threatened with the idea of losing significant amounts of money. Yeah, I mean, there are. that's a very valid point and we don't know what the Russian would, would think. Um, 
There are questions that should be asked of Eddie Howe, definitely. And a few of them were asked last season about the transfer policy and the, the fact that the, the people who were doing so well in his team were, were arguably the guys that had come up through the divisions with him and he knew the style. Whenever he spent big money on a, on a player, it didn't seem to work out for, for Sorry, Jordan Ive and people Jordan like Ive was one, yeah, absolutely. And I think you could, you could maybe argue the same on Jermaine Defoe this year because so far because particularly Defoe, when King was playing so well exactly, at the end of last season exactly yeah. and and it does require a change of style slightly mm. a tweak of style to to integrate Defoe into that team so there are questions being asked of him but and it, it, look it would be a waste if they didn't build on a ninth place finish but is he under I mean he's not going to get the sack is he and not unless the Russian does something daft no let's uh, Tony Waters has been on with um Look at, wants us to look at an area which is the bane of any manager's life, diving. Yeah. He said the risk and reward equation is in favour of the diver as things stand, but if there was punishment for exceeding X number of dives, was a, and that was a points deduction, mm. Would managers tell their players, don't dive? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, an, an, an X number of dives, by the way, should be one. Um, you know, if I thought Sean Dyche was excellent when he Well, you take about points it. away for one dive. Yeah, if, if if a player, oh sorry, I mean, prob probably not that, but I, I thought you meant. In a, I thought well, I thought you meant in a, a harsh in a game. Well, no, I think what you meant was in a game. You know, if if someone's going to get penalised rather than necessarily a points deduction oh, for yeah, yeah. for that, but if so, if if you know, I would certainly give a player a three match ban for for a dive, or even you know, let's take it to another level and say, well, look, you've, you're proven to have dived four matches. We are the only way you're going to stop players doing this is by taking. It's the proverbial taking the, the ball away from the child or by hitting them in the pocket. And only if clubs start getting hit in the pocket or whether it's, you know, a points deduction for, I don't know, let's say five dives or if we've, we've proven five to ten dives, whatever that figure should be, then, then that's the only way that managers are really going to clamp down on it because it, it, Tony's absolutely right. While, while ever there isn't that risk of, of being you know penalized you might lose a player for you might get a player booked or whatever but you're only going to miss him then even if he get ends up getting sent off you're only going to miss him for one game for two bookables mm. so yeah you're absolutely right about the risk and reward yeah. um jim benton evans how can the fans or the media persuade owners to challenge increasing control freakery from the football league in other words he's talking about the transfers the checker trade trophy the general drift towards a system which is dominated from top to bottom by the Premier League. How can they challenge it? Um, well, they can protest at, at their level, at the local level, I guess, to get their 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 club chairman going to these meetings and and lodging complaints. But I don't think that will necessarily do anything. The, 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 the reality is that the Premier League, oh, well. We're talking about the football league, but the reality is the Premier League are, are, are almost dictating everything that happens. The Premier League imposes a, a transfer um, deadline at the end of the summer before the, the first game, and, and suddenly the football league follows suit. Um, it's they, the football league would deny it, but they're under the thumb, aren't they? I mean, they, they, they have to follow suit. They, and I don't, and that that's, that then becomes a an issue for that, that all fans can empathise with it. We don't. Fans don't have a say. Fans don't really can't really impose their will on big bodies like the Premier League, which are or the or the football league, which are commercially. 
mostly it, driven. It used to depend how much you cared about it as well, because if, if you really cared, you could say, well, let's all not go to a game or, matter, or whatever. But, but unfortunately, there's so much money in the game now that yeah. the only way, you know, of course, uh, we all know that one of the reasons the game, our, our game, the British game, sells so well globally is because of the packed stadiums, and that's not going to look good uh, if all of a sudden teams are playing to, you know, to 20 people. But and there's so much money. The game is so awash with money these days that that it's not even going to hit mm. owners in the pocket if people don't turn up. A final question, and it's a, probably a question that would take us several hours to answer, but we've only got about a couple of minutes. The FA. What do we do about them? <laughs> several hours. <laughs> yes. I want to say FA, but. Um, <laughs> but um, oh dear, I, I, I don't know. It's it's. There are good people who work within the FA, we should say that. There, mm. there are, uh, and you talk to them privately uh, and they're they tearing their hair out. Yeah, they despair. Mm. It's, some of the self-inflicted damage is astonishing. And it has been for years. And we can go back to, I don't know, Gay Hillsborough, even you know, way back, we're calling 30 years back. It's, it's just one thing after another. And the, the Samson affair now is, is the latest focus, but... I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for a reform. I don't, I, the government, maybe the government has to get involved. Maybe the government has to impose some kind of level of reform. But then, you know, in every other... Take, take away their the funding. Government. Take away their official funding. Yeah, I mean, look, I, and the I, Premier League would just step into the breach. Yeah, and and the, the the problem for me, the Football Association have is that they have to be squeaky clean now, and there's no there's no leeway. I mean, let's look back a year ago to when Sam Allardyce was was sacked. You know, I, I didn't think at the time when listening to him, he'd, yes, he, he said that there are ways around certain issues in the game, but he didn't actually say, and this is how you do it. He just said, look, everyone knows how you do it, and that's what it is. And, and yet the FA were almost forced to react so quickly that they had to take the decision to sack him. And I think, again, in, in this the situation with, with Mark Sampson, look, the, the whole... Uh, claims of racism, uh, they they need to be investigated thoroughly and wholly, and and it's a situation that needs sorting out. But the way it has all evolved, with him being dismissed for something that happened, you know, two or three years ago, and there was no illegality involved as far as we're, we're being told, which they were aware, which of, they were aware of. Then are they are they reacting to that now and, and judging? It's again, it's judging people by today's standards and you know judging past events. I mean, it's such a murky area, but. You know, I have to say I do have a degree, and it is a small degree, but a degree of sympathy for them on, you know, on many of these situations. Well, it's an unholy mess. Let's face it, the FA is currently unfit for purpose. It must change or die. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.